This is Season 2, Episode 7 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some pretty strong opinions. Our episode tonight is preparing and running published RPG campaigns, or I prep because I care. Welcome to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, it's an RPG podcast all about upping your game with ideas, advice, sometimes cool stuff found, sometimes email, lots of good stuff. I'm Carl again with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you can find information about us at masteringtherpg.com, or you can send us an email, some feedback, questions, anything like that to gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. So I'd like to say good to see you guys. Good to hear you. Um, James, what you been up to? G'day guys, uh, I've been taking a bit of a break. I've had uh, five days away from my school games, which have been amazing. Just running two games of uh, Dungeons and Dragons this week. Um, and bizarrely enough, I've been doing a lot of prepping, prepping published adventures. I'm running three different published adventures next term. So prepping 10 sessions for the, for the next term for my smaller kids game. So um, this chat is very timely. I'm doing exactly this. Awesome. Awesome. Eric, how about you? What you been up to? Uh, I've been mostly doing non-game things, a lot of yard work and gardening, planting, uh, a lot of hard <laughs> backbreaking work. But on the game side, you know, I've been continuing to work on my setting that I'm almost done, my Savage World setting that I am excited to then play a campaign to run. So that should be exciting. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of like new systems coming out and things being kickstarted. So I'm kind of reading different systems um, and getting into that more. So, yeah. Very cool. Uh, personally, I just, I, I just had the one campaign I'm working on. The players have discovered something kind of interesting in the last the last game, sort of uh, a little bit of more insight into the world uh, or the the universe, so to speak. Um, otherwise, my God, just um, putting video content, Final Cut, all that stuff. So <laughs> just trying to get all the stuff that Eric and I put together and we've done for the show and just a lot of work there. So. Um, but a little bit of gaming stuff, so that's pretty much fun. Um, I'm very excited that you've been prepping some campaigns because uh, it's been a little bit of time since I prepped my my last campaign that used a published framework, and so it'd be great to talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I This year, I don't know why I've done this. In the past, I've tended to prep one campaign and run it multiple times for my different groups because I, I, I do this professionally. So, uh, But this year, I'm an idiot and am running five different games, um, three of which are, are published adventures, but separate published adventures. So I'm kind of, I'm overdoing it with my prep. I, I prep way, way, way too much, which is uh, which is slowly killing me inside. But, um, <laughs> but apart from that, it's good fun. It is good fun. And I get to prepare some very good published high-end adventures which I'm, I'm very happy about i've managed to pick some some very good ones this year so um so we'll we'll get right into it eric is going to take the lead tonight he's going to lead us through this exploring this interesting topic that is preparing adventures so on to the main topic All right, we're here with the main topic. Eric, take it away. 
Yeah, so uh, tonight we're talking about published campaigns. Um, just uh, a little backstory in my own uh, experience with this. I've never ran a published campaign and I barely played in, I played in like one real life one and then I played in, I think James, you ran one. That was, you went pretty wild with that one anyway. So I have the least amount of experience. So I will be the interviewer and these are my interviewees <laughs> because I just don't know much about this. Um, but yeah, let's, I think the most, the first thing to start is let's define what we mean. And these are what we're talking about. These are, we're going to talk about the campaign versions of these, where this is a, if you think of like the D and D books or Pathfinder, that's kind of the main ones that come to mind, right? Of, um, you know, a, a, a level range. Usually it's like levels one to five. Sometimes they're levels one to 20 or whatever, whatever your game has. And it's a full campaign an enclosed story um, that you buy and that they give you the story and the tools to run these games. Um, so yeah, I will be using the term AP, which stands for Adventure Pass. That's what Pathfinder uses. And I just like it. And it's just, you know, it's just easy to use it that way. So um, yeah, so these come in all different sorts of themes, but they're all kind of unified in how they're structured. So let's get right into it. Um, so the first kind of topic we'll talk about today is selecting them. Like, how do you select them? What's the process? So um, yeah, so the first thing first is what do you look for in like an, an adventure path? Like what, what what's what do you look for that's like that you know? Okay, it's a good like it, it's it's or what what are the things that you like that uh, um, attract you to a certain type of adventure path? So James, let's start with you. What do you look for? So when I pick my adventure paths, particularly from published campaigns, there's a couple of things that I that I'm looking for first. The first one is an engaging setting. Um, something that I know that I'll be interested in because I guess when you're picking a published campaign, you're committing yourself to a, a chunky part of your time. You know, I, I, I try and crunch a, a, a published module or a published campaign, I should say, into about 80 hours of gameplay. And so what you're trying to find is a setting that, that you're going to be interested in, that you're going to be able to kind of describe and immerse yourself in. And then trickily... The next part's a little bit harder to find and a little bit harder to make sure you've got, I guess, before you buy. But what I'm looking for is is a an engaging plot that involves uh, engaging non-player characters that is not necessarily totally linear in its in its in mm. its makeup, um, but also allows you to kind of play around with it a little bit. So. It's, that's often very, very difficult to uh, okay. to know before you pick it off the shelf. You know, yeah. let's face it, you go into your friendly neighborhood game shop, game shop and flick through a book or you read a review. It's difficult to actually find that. But I guess after buying a few of them and flipping through a few of them, you're looking for that that engaging flow-through plot that isn't necessarily linear and um, and some good chunky NPCs in there to help make it breathe it to life. They're the, they're the three things that I'm looking for. Okay. Uh, Carl, what about you? What are the things that you look for in adventure? I, I think what James brought up is is really kind of the the, the crux of it. But one yeah. of the things that I also look at is does this adventure path or this campaign meet the way my play style? Does it work with the way I do things? Because huh. um, I I like the I like to look at them more as frameworks to fit my own needs, my own campaign, as opposed to. I just want a full start to finish storyline. Um, in, in Savage Worlds, we call them plot point campaigns, and they're they're a little bit different than a, a full fleshed out published story that has text boxes to read and um, everything kind of statted out to the nth degree. 
Um, and I, I kind of look for those kinds of stories that I can fit into kind of what I'm trying to do as opposed to something that leads me by the nose. But I think, James, you hit right on that, right? You want an engaging story. You want something that's not too linear, that's not too railroady. But, you know, really in the end, I, I, you know, the, the players are going to be unique. The What I'm trying to get across is going to be unique. And I want something that um, helps me do that and isn't just... Uh, going to be the same as everyone else who runs this adventure it'll just feel the same every time yeah isn't that it seems it, like, isn't that interesting because uh because i run this uh, professionally there's an expectation from my customers that they do get the the published adventure that yeah. everyone else does that they can say i've done curse of strad or i've done masks of nyalathotep i've done the the, uh, the published one so it's a it's an interesting kind of different way when i'm running games for friends and family i totally agree i'm kind of loosely hanging a, a, a the the adventure path based on my style and based on what my what, what my players are interested into but um, i've found myself over the past four or five years having to really deliver the the game that in its published way so it, uh, it makes for a very different pre- pre- preparation experience really and, and i think you I, I guess it comes i guess it comes down to needs a lot because in, in in your cases, it really seems like you guys like the flexibility because it's more fun for you to then to, to mess around with and kind of add your own things in. Where some other people who might be, you know, strapped more strapped for time or something, uh, just want the straight experience, right? Like they just want to be able just to run it and don't have to do as much prep. Um, but yeah, for you guys, it's obviously just more engaging to be able to have something that gives you the tools without telling you what to do completely. Right? Yeah. And my, and my memory is not good enough to be able to remember every detail. So, you know, they're going to change. I might as well uh, yeah. plan for that. <laughs> well, we got a lot to talk about. So let's, let's, let's just quickly talk about here. Um, what are some of the tips and tricks of actually selecting the kind of the ones that you want? Like if you're online or you're, you're in the game store and you, you know, there's, here's this, all these books in front of you. How do you kind of like, you know, relatively quickly be like, oh, this is the, this is an AP for me. This is the AP that I'm looking for. Like, do you have any kind of tips and tricks or you just kind of read the whole thing or look at reviews? Uh, Carl, what, any, anything? Well, uh, you're not, uh, I think James mentioned, you're not going to pick that up by looking, paging through it in the store. But what you yeah. can understand is know your own style. Um, you're, you're going to be running this, I, I guess, many tens of hours. And uh, each one of these different books, they have a different feel to them. Um, some are over the top. Some are more mystery. Some are more, you know, uh, there's even now adventure paths are all about heist, right? Um, I don't use a lot of D&D published adventures um, by, I'm not a D&D guy, but there's a lot of them out there. So you need to kind of know what you're interested in. Um, you know, Curse of Strahd's not going to be a great one if you're not a horror kind of person and you want to play it silly, right? So know your own style when you're picking things out, I, I think is one thing I would think about. Okay. James, do you have any like tips? Yeah, there's a couple of things I do when I, when I pick up a, when I receive a, an adventure, cause I, I tend to buy them also, you know, when they come oh, out of the okay. mail and I, and I have a look <laughs> and go, all right, let's see what this thing looks like. The first thing is, is most published campaigns will provide a plot path, an, an adventure path uh, in full somewhere in the first kind of chapter of the campaign. It generally says what each chapter of the campaign will cover, um, mm-hmm. some some majority of the plot points and, and how you go from point A to point B to point C to point D as you go through the adventure. So I, I tend to read that absolutely first thing I flick through, even before anything else. The other trick that I do is I read the last chapter first. 
Um, Interesting. Because ultimately getting an idea about how the final boss battle or how, how the whole thing culminates at the end does a couple of things for me. It, it, it Does that excite me? Like is, oh, wow, this is cool. Look at the final epic battle is against a god, against a dragon, against a kraken. You know, this kind of sense of how does this fit in? But it also allows me to prep a lot easier because if I know what the end point looks like, then I can understand the plot points to get me to that end point, the clues that I need to be uh, putting out there before I get to the end point. So I tend to read backwards. I read the last chapter first and then, then see how it all moves on to there. The other thing I do, of course, is have a good flick through. And for me, it's a, a, mo a lot about the artwork. Um, uh, the artwork gives me a sense of setting. It gives me a sense of the visual nature of the campaign. And if I find that exciting, then uh, then then that helps me in terms of um, um, uh, visualizing how I'm going to describe the campaign world to my players. Okay. So, I mean, I could see somebody there then, like, if they're having trouble selecting, like you said, like, look at the outline. Is it well organized? And then, yeah, picking out the end battle, picking out, like, maybe the mid the act two, like end of that and see if it like, if it does seem like it comes together, I guess you could get a pretty good um, idea of, okay, this is written well <laughs> based on kind of cherry picking those, the, the climax. Right. Um, so yeah. I, and, that's interesting. and funnily enough, uh, I find chapters three and four are where all your problems occur. So um, if you, yeah, if that, you want to know if there's going to be a problematic yeah. game, uh, <laughs> that midpoint of three and four, have a good look through to that because that's often your hex crawl or your exploration yeah. or your let's find out about the world. Um, a lot of writers will focus in on the start to try and you know, engage a really exciting yeah. start. They'll focus on the end, a really exciting ending. It's that midpoint that that's where you get into all sorts of trouble. So I, um, you know, I'll have a flick through that as well. Okay, cool. And I guess I didn't really talk about this before, but like, I mean, what what are the main, just for you guys real quick, what are the main kind of advantages versus uh, for, for doing this versus making your own? I mean, obviously there's some time there, but do you have any other kind of advantages that you think on, on just on the top of your head, Carl, um, compared to just running it on yourself without any type of uh, pre-published? Well, the, the biggest thing is that you're not the end. Uh, I'm not as creative as I think I am. And there's a lot of interesting stories that people have come up with. Um, there's a reason why some of these adventure paths are very, very popular because they're creative and interesting and they've got those engaging NPCs. And so I think it's, yeah. it's, it's really nice. What it does is by playing some of those, it gives you, even if you're primarily a homebrew person, you get to see how other people think and how other people create games and um, adventures and um, I think James, you're 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 feeling around the edges when you say, "Hey, the ending they focus on, the beginning they focus on, they don't focus so much." Well, then if you find somebody who does a good job focusing in the middle part, you're going to learn something from them. If you're trying to run that run that that adventure path um, to use to use the Pathfinder word, I'll just yeah. I'll keep using adventure path too. But, yeah, that's uh, what so <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, I think that's one of the advantages. I don't think it's faster to run pre-published versus a homebrew honestly so I, I don't think that's an actual advantage but that's a whole nother conversation that's probably and that's in and for you yeah when you're doing these one-on-one -on -one. i imagine james it might be a little bit different for you because you do all these games at once and having that framework makes it easier to run many games right is that the main advantage oh yeah yeah and, and look i'm an exception rather than the rule for yeah, me it's trying if i was to run 10 homebrew games a week 
but just the ability to keep track of all the bullshit that I made up would be the hardest part. Yeah, I just yeah. would never be able to do it. Whereas yeah. if I can run published games, and at least I know, oh yeah, they're up to they're up to page thirty eight. That's pretty simple about what they've experienced and what they're about to experience. Um, I think there's a really big advantage with running published adventures for very beginner dungeon masters and storytellers and games masters. Um, you know. Uh, Using a published campaign to, that when you're first starting out um, helps you get a really good understanding of structure and how story unveils. Yeah. And, and it provides things like encounter balance for you that's been play tested. Um, some of the real tricks that, that, that step up beginning games masters are, are kind of ironed out a little bit more as well. So, um, uh, you know, the other thing is uh, in terms of there are a lot of these published campaigns come with heaps of resources. So, you know, pre-published maps, pre-published artwork. Um, there are even Sirenscape soundtracks that are now set up for your for your pre-published uh, campaign. So you just have to click a button for the sound. So uh, there are, and and I guess a lot of uh, designers and third-party designers um, cash in on on pre-published work too. So in order, so to find those resources and those handouts. And those tokens and bits and pieces, it's it's far easier to do so with a pre-published adventure. Of course, yeah. And that you guys make the good point of, like, you know, writers uh, often, they read a lot to, to learn how to write better. And, and people who are running these games, right, we're not going to school to learn how to DM. Like, you have to learn just by experiencing it or by running it. So it is a good way to kind of teach yourself in a lot of ways. But let's move on. Let's move on to the next phase, which is all about preparing. How do we prepare this before we actually run it? So... James, what does your like initial kind of setup look like when you're when you're kind of getting with a new book in front of you? Like, what's the kind of first things you do to set up? So, it's it's a little tricky. Every everyone, a lot of people that I read recommend you read the the campaign, the adventure path from start to finish, so that you get an understanding out of of everything that's going on. I tend to not do that. I find that you know, essentially. Reading every page of the of the campaign at the beginning, it may be a year before you actually get up to chapter six or chapter seven. Um, and so I tend to skim read and I tend to focus in on uh, a third of the a third of the campaign at a time. So I look at the first third. I I break out my little sticky notes, and the things I'm looking for are plot thread, main plot thread, and subplot threads. When I'm when I'm looking through um, this, so. Uh, what is the main thrust of the campaign? What's the main the main plot? Where do we need to go from A to B to C to D to, to further the main plot? But I'm also looking for themes. I'm looking for subplot themes that intertwine. And this is where you can add your own stamp on games. Uh, you know, you can really focus in on a subplot. You can really focus in on these sub-themes. And importantly, when I first start to, to pick this apart, that's what I'm looking for to involve my characters and to involve my character backstories. Because I guess one of the tricks with running a published adventure is, as opposed to a homebrew adventure, is how do I make this appealing and how do I make this centered still on players? Because I still want to run a player-centric, a player-character-centric game, yeah. even though it's a published module. So I'm looking for opportunities through theme and through subplots on how I can involve my player characters even better. That's, I guess, my first my first reading of the of the adventure. Okay. Carl, what do you what do you do when you get a new kind of book in front of you? What's what's your initial prep? I think James is right on point. Um, 
the first thing I do is I start, I read enough of the campaign to start understanding it and then maybe skim the rest to know where some of the, really the key elements are. I, I think this comes back to, you know, the core themes, the core, the, the thread that's going through um, so that I know how each one of those items is going to interact with the players. And, and then I look at, um, so as part of that, I think it, that we forget about sometimes is look at those key NPCs and understand their motivations and kind of what they're trying to do as opposed to they're just text on a page. It's really get inside their head because then that's going to make it so much easier when you start preparing for the actual adventure within the campaign where you understand how the enemy's going to react, what they're going to do based on the first, you know, characters do something yeah. along the lines in the beginning adventure. You know that the next adventure comes along, players are going to do something a little bit different than the campaign designer thought. So now you understand the motivations of those NPCs and you can mm. bob and weave and get them back to sort of following kind of what the core, as James said, there's the core storyline that you're trying to follow and the players are going to go off of it, right? They're going to veer back and forth as yeah. they go along. So I, I really try to understand what the NPCs are trying to do, what the key elements are throughout the whole story. And then I ignore half of the last half of the book um, while I'm really prepping because there's just too much there to keep in <laughs> mind. You just, you understand what's supposed to happen. Now you can focus on the details, um, you know, things like the enemy tactics and that sort of thing. And one of the other things I, I think um, I do initially, and uh, James probably does the same thing. I, I look at stuff that I go, there's no way in hell I'm going to run this. I, there's just <laughs> yeah. no chance that this is going to work out. It's just not something that I even know how to do. You know, there's some weird something about this particular adventure or, and so it's like, I, I, it's not gold. It's, it's garbage. It's hot. I'll throw it out. Now what am I going to put in there instead to keep people moving along? So that's in the initial reading, you're going to find things that's just like, I just don't want to play this adventure. This is dumb or, or it's just not going to meet my needs. Yeah. And so those are a couple of the things that I do just to start off with um, as I'm prepping. So really getting the NPCs minds, the core themes, um, and then start removing the chaff right away um, so that I don't spend time dealing with it. Um, now that may be a problem, right? If, if again, people are looking for that, uh, the the actual adventure path as it was written, then there's a problem because I'm going to pull written stuff out and throw it away because it's just not something that I can run, feel good about running or, or whatever the reason is. But the trick is you can pull things out if they're not related to your main plotline. Like if they're not if they're not following the main thoroughfare, if they're not following the main river of the, the story, then it doesn't really matter if you kind of pull an encounter or a character or a scene or a, a whole aspect of the story, as long as your main thread is, is running true. Um, and yeah, I do that all the time. An NPC that just go, that's ridiculous. A, a side track or a side quest that you just go, I just don't want to be running this. You can pull it out pretty quickly yeah. and pretty easily. I guess, I, again, I'm in a little bit of a stranger situation that other storytellers won't be in. But one of the tricks that I do as well, because I know that I'm running a campaign a year, and I have 40 sessions to run, I actually start to plot out early what my first 10 sessions will look like, you know, what my first 20 hours or 30 hours might look like, um, which starts, which allows me to go through the compartmentalizing of what is my 
where are my cliffhangers going? Where, where, how do I, how do I set this up in the first two or three sessions? So, um, but then again, I'm doing this for, at a much larger scale. But being able to break down that first third of the book into my first ten sessions is, um, is also a handy little thing, little trick that I've learnt over the over the years of doing this. Yeah, I think there's some very good advice. I think, I think, uh, don't. I think a big thing always is don't be afraid to cut out stuff that doesn't work for you. Yeah. Um, don't be beholden to the book because the book stairs just is a, is a guide, is a framework. And I think, Carl, what you talked about NPCs, using them as kind of the guideposts because you'll have the most flexibility then to add your own stuff in and to bring things back into the story. Um, and like, yeah, same with you, James, the, having an outline. And I think you could even write down those NPCs, right? You could write them down and then even put their motivations just so you have like your little, your notes on that. I think that's a good good thing to go with well and i okay and, so you and, and i yeah. did a little research on this one and and people do talk a lot about um the mechanics of prepping and that's some of the things they talk about take the npcs each one gets their pop them out each yeah. each one gets their little uh index card and then you tape that index card with the the places where they're sh where they appear you know they're in this these sessions and here's their motivation so there's a lot of mechanical help um that's that you can take away from from some of those uh, for from from some of those resources online, people will get really into the details of how you sure. put all this stuff together. Um, Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, so you've done you guys have done your setup, but you know, but half of the game is with players. So before you even start, what is what is it you do to like? Okay, you know what what. What does it do specifically that you help prepare players for what kind of you're playing? Because, you know, when you're doing your own game, you can be much more flexible with often where you're going or where they're living from, right? So usually when, when you're playing an adventure path, it's in a specific setting. It's in a specific place in the setting that has lore around it. So, so what do you do to help prepare your players, uh, Carl? Like when you get one, what do you do? Well, I think most time players don't know everything that goes into these games, nor should they, right? Because that's part yeah. of the part of the uh, fun. But you need to be upfront with what the adventure path is essentially about. Um, not not everything, but if is this a going to be, you know, a thing like Curse of Strahd? It's people know that name and they know what it means to have that adventure. But somebody coming in cold, oh, this is going to be mysterious kind of horror it's good do you guys really are you are you into that it's going to be about exploring these ruins or this is going to be i think you need to be up front and it's that session zero kind of conversation just like you would if you're doing your own homebrew right you've got <laughs> you've got the two you you know you got the elevator pitch you need to take and yeah. make that elevator pitch for the adventure and set those expectations i mean yeah you have a central but, theme there's a central hook that of course, kind of a thread of that's course. going to run through the whole thing, and so you need to be upfront about that. I think that's the first, the very first thing to, to concern yourself with. Yeah, for sure. And I guess because um, we talk about session zero all the time, I, I guess also is there anything even more specific that that applies from adventure paths that you know different from even your own stuff that you, that is kind of like a unique thing to, to help prepare players. James, what do you do as far as that? There's a couple of things I do, um, and they don't differ too much from homebrew, but I think they're still important to do. My, the little one-page plot summary sheet that I give out to my players before any campaign, you really need to do for a published adventure. 
um, just so that your 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 players are aware a what Carl was saying, how what they're getting themselves into, and the theme of the game, and so that they're not they're not creating characters that are completely at odds with the with the with the setting. Because I guess when you're running a homebrew game, you can everyone gets their characters together, everyone puts their backgrounds together, everyone puts their backstories together, and you kind of mish it all together, and you you can kind of create your own overarching story plot that that helps. Um, pin on those those backstories with a published adventure it's it's far more difficult you you have to align the backstories with the npcs and with the plot lines that are within the story yeah and so highlighting what the main plot is in a in a very overview manner so that people are aware of, of what adventure they're getting themselves into providing a little bit more information about setting so that their players will align themselves with the kinds of characters and so for my kids games for example i restrict the character backgrounds and lineages that they can have so that we make sure that everything's kind of fitting within the storyline and within the setting and and importantly in that first session getting an understanding where those subplots are within the within the published adventure allows for the beginning of those conversations where you can to and fro with the characters, with the player backgrounds and how it can fit within the storyline. So knowing that the big bad has killed your parents, well, with a published adventure, you need to know the name of that big bad and know who that likely is to be so that you can provide that information to the players earlier rather than later. So that first session one, that toing and froing with background information becomes very critical with a published adventure because you've got to you've got to fit it in with the published seems adventure. Seems like even more so. And that and that's kind of the challenges that I was thinking of because the the, the few times that I have uh, played in a, in an AP it was definitely, you know, it, it feels like it you're it's a little bit more constrained as far as how crazy you can go with your own character and their backstory. So I think Very like much. James what you're saying is you're basically you you would give you give more information than you would as when you do a homebrew just because it's in a, such a specific place that's kind of integral um, to the rest and even while there is some flexibility you don't have as much flexibility right is that kind of the overall yeah very very if i think of um i'm running call of the nether deep for example published adventure by uh by the guys from critical role right at the beginning of my one page and every discussion that i've had with that with the groups that are playing that adventure i've had to say you guys are heroes that look after and protect people yeah. You know, and and had to be really overt and really specific because if you don't at- approach that adventure with that mindset of your you're being effectively the good guys, the whole adventure falls apart very, 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 very quickly. And so, whereas normally in a homebrew game you, you'd come up with all sorts of nefarious, chaotic, neutral kind of guys that would be completely crazy and zany, and that's okay because you're running a homebrew game. In this in this kind of sense, you've got to be very, very specific about the kinds of characters that they can play yeah. in order to make the whole thing work. Um, which is why a lot of people don't do them because they go, "This is too restricting. This is too too difficult to run." I prefer a far more open world. So it is one of the it is one of the downsides to running a published campaign. But um, but if you get it right, it means that running it becomes a lot easier. For sure. So just before we move on, is there any other tips or tricks you guys have left that you can think of as far as just preparing it, Carl? Do you have any other ones or? Yeah. I, I just really want to very, very strongly point out that you, you do need to outline some of the key points, those key plot points and know why things are happening. And then, yeah. like I said, with the NPCs, who's making them happen because you have to be able to react to what the players are doing. And if you are just reading 
box text and just reading the paragraphs as people are doing things, then you're just not going to be able to, to make a decision. Uh, and it'll get into the running, right? Decisions you make can take your game off the rails um, when we start talking about running one. So yeah, I, yeah. I think it's super important to have those the key parts outlined and captured um, and know what's going to happen so that if you need to do something that contradicts that narrative element, you do it in a way that's very thoughtful and, and purposeful. Yeah, James, any more tips and tricks before we move on? Tips and tricks for, yeah, I think uh, Carl, Carl's run it. You know, the, uh, the other side of understanding the NPCs too is the NPCs form the basis of a lot of your encounters, particularly combat encounters. So getting a good sense of what each of the, the bosses and mini-bosses are capable of doing through the published campaign um, will really guide the way that you will lead up to them because if you understand that they've got scrying spells or charm spells or or abilities that allow you to do different things or high high uh, levels of intrigue or political uh, connections or things like this, that'll allow you to, to role-play them better on the lead-up. And you really want to make these sub-boss and boss fights really memorable as the as the big uh, cliffhanger points of the uh, of the campaign. So understanding what they're capable of is really important. So yes, understanding motivations, but also understanding the capacity of NPCs are very, very, very important. Um, no, Don, sorry, I, I was going to ask you another question, but if you have more to say, then yeah. uh, the other thing I I try and find and try to get a sense of is the dramatic beats and the dramatic rests within the within the storyline when you're going through that initial pre preparation. Just getting a sense of of where your climaxes are going to be, so that you can have your cliffhangers. You can you can end sessions on on really high points, and you understand where uh, your your early breaks are going to be within a campaign. Campaigns are written with the idea that you you go through trials and tribulations, but at some point there's a breather to allow allow the players to and the characters to breathe. Yeah. So getting a sense of that flow is also really really important. So you guys see any value in like maybe like, you know, looking up what, what people, other people's experience, like on the internet, looking up what their experience with the campaign was or what they went through or watching, like not, not watching, not watching the whole thing, but like watching like highlights of an actual play. Like, do you think there's any value in seeing what other people have done or hearing about what other people have done? Or does that kind of maybe take away, maybe will constrain you too much? Um, thoughts, I guess. <laughs> I very much do this. Uh, yeah, okay. I think I think there is great value in it. Um, I think that the internet is a is a rabbit warren that you can get caught up in, and uh, and but I, I will say for most published adventures, I uh, I follow Reddit subthreads for most of them, um, and I join the Facebook groups of storytellers that are running them. Often, so I can steal resources, but also you'll get some some good ideas from them. Uh, in terms of actual plays, yes and no. Um, once I, I don't do it until I've had a good read. Once I've had a bit of a read through it and get a sense of how I'm going to run a big chunk of the story, I will then watch an actual play to see how another storyteller has interpreted that story. Not to override what I'm thinking, but they might come up with a cool angle that I hadn't considered. Um, and you do get to see how players react to the story so you do get to see how uh, how the players grab it more than how the storyteller will yeah, run it because if yeah. they're running it published they, it's going to be similar to how you run it but you do get to see how players what what appeals to them what bored them and yes groups are different but you do get to get a sense of oh that didn't go down too well i might change the way that that's approached um and 
the resources are there. So in my mind, I use them. Interesting. Well, for me, it's I, I don't do a lot of actual plays, but now you make me very interested if I was going to run some of these uh, longer format uh, adventures, maybe I should. But I do think it's really nice. There's a lot of people who go through, run these things, do really good reviews, talk about very much what these things are, almost at a spoiler level, about what these yeah. things are about. And we talked about this in the beginning as far as um, choosing an adventure path. There's a lot. If you've got an adventure path you're interested in, there's a lot of people who've played it, ran it, want to talk about it that you can find on the internet and say, oh, this doesn't sound like my style or this doesn't sound like, you know, mm -hmm. this, the picture on the box does not represent what's inside. Uh, so that's very useful for real, um, very useful yeah. to, to do. But you've got to be careful. There's a lot of spoilers. So if you're a player looking then you may have yeah, some problems. This is obviously not for players. We're talking about game masters here. Yeah, so I think those sure. are some good things. I think, yeah, looking up other people talk about that. They, you know, they're basically beta testers, right? Like they, they could see, oh, here's a problem. This doesn't work and whatever. Yep. Act two, scene two. And James, I think that's a really, really good point that you made. Before you watch somebody do it, you should definitely read it first because that way you won't be so, you know, if you watched it first, then even, you know, subconsciously, you're going to be much more influenced by what they've done. Because uh, that's the first thing that you've seen about it, right? And that's, oh, for us, that has the biggest impact on our psyche. So, yeah, I think that's a very good point, James, is you should always read it first, and then you can watch some actual plays. Okay, very cool. The, let's, the other let's, thing, oh, too, yeah. is, and, and, and for some of the really epic campaigns, and I'm talking about the Curse of Strahd's, Mass of Neolithotep, those kind of campaigns, the resources out there, the online resources are massive. Yeah, people have uh, made maps and, right, Oh, and, and even beyond that, and, yeah. whole episodes of background information where you can about preparing the game. Uh, there's a whole series for Curse of Strahd on <laughs> how to do various accents uh, for NPCs, okay. how to okay. how mouth shapes and accents, and there there is a world of information out there that means you actually never have to think creatively ever, uh, <laughs> which which might not be which might be a thing for you, might not be, but um, but there is worlds of stuff out there which they're rabbit holes that you never escape from yeah. once you. Once but obviously, you that's down. that's for the pop. I mean, you know, curse. We keep talking about Curse of Strahd because that is almost infamously like one of the most famous adventure paths out there. Um, cool. Okay, uh, let's move on to running them. So, just just at the very top, what are the what do you guys think are the main challenges of running an adventure path? We don't have to get too much detail on this part, but like what you know, again, almost compared to your own homebrew, when you actually get into the running of it, what are the kind of main challenges, um, James? Some of them aren't good. <laughs> I think it's just to be really brutal with it. Uh, you've got to really pick a good one. Uh, Otherwise, you get caught in a game that is just going to be hell. Um, there are some infamously bad Dungeons & Dragons campaigns. There are some really quite poor Call of Cthulhu games. Uh, and so trying to find the good one is, is is the best thing. Otherwise, you are constraining yourself to, to honestly, a year of, of hell that makes it very, very, very difficult. Um, in particular, some of the old school plots that tend to have a list of encounters that might not be overly connected to each other. Um, in my mind, if I'm going to fork out for, for, for a campaign, it needs to have, be a cohesive plot. It needs to do what I need it to do, which is actually cut down on my preparation. I don't, ha I don't have the time to be filling in a lot of plot gaps and, and fixing someone else's work. Um, and, and 
so one of the downsides is 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 when you get a when you get one that sucks it's it's uh, it can be it can be very very difficult another downside is is whether we like it or not published adventures have the there's the risk of people having already played them and bizarrely there's a risk of players reading them while you do it and i know it sounds a bit weird but um, even adults I, I still don't understand why you would do this but i have had players that that read the book on me and I, and i still don't know why on earth you would do this to yourself but uh, but it is it is a risk that these things are out there that there are spoilers. You can actually get the stat blocks of the monsters uh, and the bosses, and you can watch the actual plays, and you can do all of those things. So uh, one of the downsides of it, and one of the challenges, is actually uh, is is players that already understand what you're doing. Yeah, Carl. For you, are there anything like you've started to run the game, and then what what are the kind of things that will pop up that are kind of the main well, challenges? Well, there's two things that are that come to my mind all the time when I'm talking about these sort of things. The first one is the obvious uh, keeping players on track. Um, for better or worse, all published adventures have an expectation that you're going through this core plot line. Um, and it's very easy for folks to wander off of that um, significantly uh, because, you know, we want to give players agency, right? That's part of the whole point. And so they can make decisions and sometimes um, and this goes maybe to what James was saying, they're just not good. <laughs> the The hooks aren't um, exciting enough to pull the players in yeah. to make them actually want to follow that primary story plot um, point. And that's something when you're prepping and you start looking at uh, the game or the, the adventures uh, and you look at something, you say, well, why would I do that if I was a player? So, you know, you th in this one, you're supposed to meet the count and then decide that you're going to help him you know, do something. And it's like, why would they do that? There, there's no reason for them other than the adventure says it's something that they should do. Um, so that's, that's a big challenge. Um, second thing is, uh, players affecting the story, which is kind of the, the other side of that coin. Players have agency. I, I'm a huge proponent, uh, of them giving players the ability to do what they want, but sometimes they're just, they're going to make something that impacts the story and you have to figure out a way to come back. Now, yeah, and one of the I'm, I'm a Savage Worlds guy. So one of the most famous plot point campaigns um, for ETU is um, Degrees of Horror. And in that particular plot point, there's a event where the players have to go to a rally, um, you know, uh, where the, the everybody's getting together and they're rah rah for their team and stuff like that, you know. Um, and if the players decide they don't want to go the whole thing just stops in its tracks. Now there's, there's two things, right? Is that plot, is that point to pull them in compelling enough to make them want to go? It should, you know, they, they should be buying in, but that's, that's one of the things they don't go and it just doesn't happen. The other thing is they can let something at something happens at this rally and they're supposed to stop it. They could decide not to stop it. And then an important NPC dies who's supposed to come back later in the later in the adventure. Now, I'm, I'm going from memory, so if you think I've got that wrong and you know how that plot point works exactly, send us an email with another question <laughs> so that we can then use the email for something else. See, see what I did there? Um, since we don't have comments like YouTube, just send us an email and, and let's get it on air. But I, those are the two big ones, is really that action to players affecting the yeah. world in a way that's negative and then just keeping them on track. I don't know if i have the the silver bullet on that i know james i'd love to hear your your thoughts on it well, too yeah let's far. let's let's actually talk about that because I, I think the main thing that everybody thinks about with the published game 
is like we we bring up the term so much is is railroading, right? Yep. Um, so so what is the balance there? What is the balance? How do you keep players on track? Because at some point you have to, right? Because these are there's these main points that are published and everything is uh, connected. So you you can't just go oh, totally off. So so how do you keep them on track? And then without the illusion of that, like without making them feel like they they're so constrained. There's a couple of things. So the first one is you have to understand, you have to read the thing. So you have to understand where the opportunities are to bring people back on track. Um, I don't want to name names, but a certain group that played a Feywild <laughs> game of mine, we had uh, an encounter and the storyline said the group has to help a, a force close a portal. Um, and once the once the group has closed the portal, then they receive the accolades of, of, of the, the local lord, and then they're asked to continue on the adventure. Our group said, nope, we're not doing that. We're going to turn on the local lord, and we're going to go through the portal. And it completely screwed me for about four months of gameplay, Eric, and the Feywild <laughs> group, so thank you for that. But... Because I've read through the plot and understand the overarching themes and where that goes, you you, you have to do that pivot where, where effectively you get back on track. And there's a couple of big key things on this. The first one, and, and often we call these fronts, which is kind of what the bad guys are going to be doing regardless of what the players do, they continue. So if you think about a published adventure being this is happening to the world, this is happening to the world in a big meta way, then that will continue regardless of what the players do. Um, and so you have to then highlight what the what the world is going through. So a big example is a game I played last year called Storm King's Thunder. The world is being invaded by giants. The giants have awakened and they're destroying cities. One of my groups last year said, we don't actually care about this. We just want to be a traveling circus and we want to make money. And so for about seven sessions, we played a group of, of, of traveling circus players where we were going around each town making money. But eventually the giants do what the giants do and start crushing the city, start, you know, start impacting on the world. Is that railroading? I don't think it is because essentially the world continues and it's up to the players about how they go. It's not as though at the end of the street they have to do these things, but ultimately the effect happens no matter, yeah. you know, on the players and it, and it provokes them to go in. The second tip that I have in keeping the players on track, and again, I, I drop this guy all the time, but Sly Flourish and the Lazy DM does this, which I actually really love. What he does is he pulls the plot points and particularly secrets and clues within the plot and he does not make them rely on a certain path of happening. So in, in Carl's idea, having that NPC that you have to save or, or if the NPC dies, then the, then the plot goes to hell. What is the information that NPC had? Exactly. What is the clues that that NPC would deliver? And is there another way you can deliver those clues? Is there another way you can deliver that plot? Whether that's a document, it's another NPC, it's, and again, it's a bit of illusion of choice, and this is a little bit railroady, but it does yeah. mean that you can get back on track very, very quickly because um, ultimately it, it isn't that reliant on, on the plot to, uh, to, to be intact for you to have a successful game. I've, I've even, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of related to that, I've even had 
another adventure that's not part of this adventure path that I've just a little one that I've written that the players now interact with that has the information that they've lost. Um, it's, it's another adventure completely separate, but it still works in the overall theme and it, it brings them back because it, it makes the, the plot hook or the information that much more in their face than maybe the published adventure did. Um, so they missed it and they moved off and they, they missed the mark. That's also something that I think um, can help out as well. Absolutely. In Masks of Nyarlathotep, one of the most convoluted plots I've ever had, I've had to create a traveling uh, carnival that was a plot device that allows me to kind of, you've, you've interact with the carnival, they give you the information that, that you've missed and you can get back onto the game. Um, absolutely. What a great, great suggestion, Carl. Um, then this is where you can add things to your game as well, to, to focus in on the plot, to make, to double down on the plot in a lot of ways. Um, you know, that, that absolutely helps. And in our Feywild game, for example, uh, the war of, of the Fey was continuing. And just because they jumped ahead a few scenes just meant I had to bring up the, uh, the, the war and how, that was, going to, um, how yeah. that was going to unfold earlier than I possibly would have. Um, and, and in fact, it threw you guys straight into the middle of it far sooner than, uh, than what the book had even, had even suggested. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if there's much advice in that, except no, understand I think, your I think, game I... in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you're, it's a lot of what you were saying is just like you got to keep raising the stakes until it, the the players almost have no choice. And when, when I was saying, you know, railroading, I meant that as like I, I think people overuse that term. And, and most of our games are illusions of choice, right? Like w- within a certain scope, like um, you know, if you prepared something and the, the players go left instead of right, then you can just take whatever you had right and use it later, right? So like uh, I think that's that's used across different types of games, but. Yeah. Uh, are there anything else there that like really is like kind of that illusion of being able to to give the players like will you give them a feeling of they're not playing in in an adventure path? But like, is there any other things that you do, or is that pretty much it? Uh, I go back a bit again to player character backgrounds and their backstories yeah. and and how that is going to cement them in the world. Because if if you've done that right at the beginning, then having your long lost uncle appear in chapter three because chapter three doesn't really work um, or, or it's, it's the weak point. It then provides an extra stimulus for the group to continue. If you can, because I'm again, even if it's a published campaign, you still want to tie it back to the motivations of your player characters. And if you do that, right, then that, that, that helps you avoid this. That helps you avoid a player. Just the characters just not engaging with your main plot. I think that's, that's kind of a tip that I would give. That's interesting because I could also think like when in regards to backstories, because those are things that while they're making them in the world of the of the AP, those are things that the writers didn't write. Those are the things the players wrote. So you almost have with backstory specifically, you have like almost unless they've really tied it to like an NPC in the setting, right? You almost have the most freedom to like. Anything could happen with the things from your backstories, right? Your uncle, he could die. He could become rich. Like, because they made this uncle up, then you have complete freedom. So I think that is a really good point, uh, uh, James, is that utilize the player backgrounds because that's where you have the most freedom, right, to kind of mess with them. And they'll have the most stakes in that anyways. So that's that's, that's the important one. That's, yeah. the, that's the bit that's going to have the stake. That's the bit that's going to yeah. push their button and push their button, hopefully, in the direction where the main plot needs that button pushed. Yeah. And you could almost do like a side adventure, right, with involving one of these backstories. Because, again, it's it's not going to impact the main narrative probably that much, but it impacts their own narrative, right? And that will give them that feeling. 
Right. Um, Carl, is there anything that you do like specifically? I mean, you know, it's a little bit different with Savage Worlds, but I know you've run other games too. But so is there, is there anything that you kind of lose, you know, to, to kind of like confound players into thinking that, oh, they're not playing it at Adventure Path? <laughs> well, I think the taking advantage of the the backstory as an element is, is definitely one to take to use for sure. Um, yeah. I think I, I kind of an improviser a little bit. So sometimes I let people have those choices. And even if those choices take me off rail, there's always, there's always some other thing that they could do to bring them back. And that's where I brought that adventure part up. There's always an adventure okay. that can help yeah, yeah. bring them back, back in um, to kind of the fold and I think you you talk about the long law well, that's the obviously thing, right? Take that take that backstory element that you have complete control over, and a long lost uncle comes and says, "Hey, did you know that the Fey War is still going on here? <laughs> There's yeah, something you should a... go take care of for me." <laughs> and 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 it's killed your auntie. Come and help. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. So, is there anything else then that about about now talking more specifically about going off script? Like you've really. Like you've either wrote it yourself or the players have led you there. Um, you know, is there anything else that kind of helps you when you go off script? Carl? Uh, going, well, yeah. kind of. It, it, the thing that I try and do is, is bring it back as quick as you can. Yeah. So the, the, the tendency of going off script is that you end up going, I like this plot point. My players are enjoying it. Let's explore this for a bit. Yeah. And before you know it, you've done four or five sessions unrelated to your plot and it's actually you're in peril of of departing from your published adventure and turning it into a homebrew game homebrew game uh and and that has happened a lot in 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 my experience and so trying to bring it back to the main plot is important otherwise you, you tend to you tend to tread water a bit and you tend to kind of waffle for for a while yeah um so i i'd be i'd be if if you're going off strict script Try not to add fuel to that fire if you can. I mean, by, by all means, use it as a correction. Use it as an indulgence. But just remember, it is a bit of an indulgence, you know, if ultimately you want to get this story completed and done. Yeah, and that's the key point. If, if you want to play the adventure path and go through all the plot points that are in it, then you really do need to get back as fast as possible with, um, you know, turn it, turn it around as fast with the fewest plot um plot points being lost before you get back on track that you have to now retread or figure out. But, you know, in reality, if, if it's not something, if the players are really having a lot of fun and it's your homebrew, you know, you took this because you wanted to play the game. Yeah. No harm, no foul. If you end up, if that ends up being more important to you, but, um, but if that's not what you want, then yeah, you got to get right back as soon as you possibly can before you lose too much of the momentum. Interesting, because I think um, I think one of the benefits of of running a published game, and we've talked this about this a bit, it is it is a it is a book ended game. You know, you do have a beginning, yeah. a middle, and an end. Yep, good point. You can actually resolve a game. This is not a campaign that ends that goes for years. You 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 know, this is generally these things last about a year, a year of gameplay. The the big published games. And one of the benefits is you get to finish and say, we, we did it. We completed this module. Now let's go on to a new one. Um, and so, you know, just trying to trying to keep to the plot and keep things moving. Um, I, I find that very rewarding, both as a player and as a games master. Yeah, because I mean, we think about it like a TV show, right? Especially more yep. of a 
uh, say like a new streaming show, it's like 10 episodes. While those might have some like, you know, there's some little side stuff that happens in the middle, like they got to keep it tight. Otherwise, there's those shows that they really kind of lose the thread. And then you're like, well, what? <laughs> then people lose interest, right? So, yep, yeah, no, I think that's a really good point is to get back that as soon yeah, as possible. For, for me, so it do doesn't yeah. matter. It's always should have an end. We talked about this before. And, yeah. You know, published or non-published, it's always good to have some place that you end up that's satisfying. And I think the published adventures, they're yeah. all about that, right? Finding a spot that's satisfying a satisfying end but you should you sh i think you should look for that all the time honestly um no that's a good point because often a lot of games don't have an end or don't don't actually come to an end because they they spend too much time and wanting to hold on to the characters or wanting to level up too much and then you kind of you know when you look back on games i found the games that had an end like you're just going to think of those more fondly you're just going to think of that there was there was that conclusion there was there was the impermanence to something there, there was an end so yeah um, so cool. So finally, I, I mean, any other final tips as far as running that you guys can think of? Or no, I think that's. Uh, I feel feel that we've explored that pretty okay. well, actually. James, anything? Yep, I'm happy to move on to players. I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, there's, not, there's really not much there for players, but just going off of that, uh, um, is there anything you guys can think of as far as ending? Let's talk about ending. Like, it, are there any tips and tricks to ending the actual campaign, or have we covered that? Like, is there anything you can think of of like? Well, you're trying to bring it in for that home run. Like, are there any challenges there or are there any tips that you have as far as getting to that kind of end and making it as kind of impactful as possible? Uh, James, I guess I'll go to you. I know this uh, is all um, script, well, well, these kind of um, work whether you're running a homebrew or a, or a, um, or a published campaign. But my, my big tips for ending a published adventure is still allowing the reflection period prior to the big boss battle. So it's, it's kind of okay. like that. That shitty thing in Survivor. I don't know if you guys watched that terrible, uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, that terrible reality TV <laughs> show. But in the second to last episode, they always make them reflect on the journey that they've had. Um, and so I always put in a session where, where the players actually have an opportunity yeah. to discuss everything that's gone on, and and that also helps for them to uh, kind of coalesce the plot in their yeah. minds, and it also allows them to reflect on their motivation as to why they've been there. Um, and because it's a published adventure, it's quite easy to go back through the book to kind of get a sense of all those things, so you can bring that up quite well oh, for them. Okay. Um, and then uh, with the big boss battle, of course, you've you've got those elements of why you're doing it, and uh, and 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 it's it's it is scripted and laid out for you. I don't think I've ever run a boss battle as scripted in the book. I think I I always invariably have to tailor that because your your player characters have like no no groups the same right and by yeah, the time right, that you've gotten that to the end of a published campaign yeah. you're probably around the level 10 to 20 mark somewhere in the upper levels if you're playing dungeons and dragons or your 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 characters are skilled and the choices that they've had in their development means that they're probably skilled in different ways that any other groups ever been that that have tried to achieve this this ending so i actually put a lot of time into tailoring the final conflict so that it, it lets my players shine, but also challenges them because each choice that they've made to make their character stronger is also a choice in a weakness that can be exploited. So I always make sure that I've kind of focused in on that last session. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense is that, and that you want, you want to be able to capitalize on their weaknesses and have whatever choices they've made, their strengths and impact the final battle. And that's yep. also a good point is because I think no matter any combat in the book, the end one is going to be the, the most glaring where this happens, where because the party composition and the way these games work, like 
the the strength of a party or how weak they are as far as mechanically is only going those things are only going to increase as they gain in levels because of the complexity of the systems so you can have one group you know maybe at level two they were all kind of the same if you played this game maybe three times or four times whatever with different groups but by level 10 level 12 level 16 those they're just going to be so completely different on a power level that no one could you know no a publisher could ever write something that would kind of encapsulate so i think that's a really good Thing. And I really liked the idea of having, it, no matter if they have it or not, having that interlude, right, is that what you were saying, having yeah. that interlude right before, that what might even go to another episode we're talking about. So, Carl, is there anything else here that you can think of? Or No, I, I think, I w- in the back of my mind, I was just thinking of this, James nailed it. It's the final boss yeah. battle has to be looked at kind of as the set piece it is and look at the tactics that are because the book's going to tell you some tactics, right? The book is going to tell you yep. this guy's going to do N Y, you know, X Y and Z, and then yeah. But it it's never right um, because of what you hit on. Is that the, all the players are different? The skills are different. Um, I think isn't there a famous uh, actual play where the big bad got hit by a counter spell at the last minute and completely changed it, and everybody was laughing about it. Maybe that's not what you want in your particular end of your adventure path. So I think that's the, really the most important thing. Once you get done with all the reflection, understanding how you're going to make it a challenging to those player characters without cheating, obviously, right? um, but making it a challenge yeah. to, uh, to them is, is one of the key things. And James hit it right on the, right on the head there. Yeah, because like, right, if, if, you, if, it's, if it's a dragon that's a fire dragon and your party has acquired a bunch of you know, immunity to fire magic items or whatever, and they're all wearing them, then that's not going to be as fun. So yeah, I think just even on that example, um, changing it up. Cool. Yeah. So very quickly, let's talk about players here. I mean, it's not, I don't think there's much here as far as other subjects. I mean, I think a lot of this is in the inverse, right? But I think one of the things is as a player, I mean, you, you, you kind of talked about this, James. It's like, don't read, you know, one thing, don't read about it. Don't look yeah, at like, please oh, yeah, please don't. I mean, I think you can kind of like, if you have questions about what kind of characters fit well into the game, like ask the game master first. Sometimes game masters might not want to. So I think they're, you know, if the, if your game master isn't very forthcoming about like what kind of works, I think just be careful on the internet, right? Because people will like to spoil things. I think it's one of the main things. And um, yeah, I think I think out of any type of game, because I don't always do this, but out of any type of game, really make your character fit into what the world, what's happening. And yes. if you have something, really talk about it with your game master. Anything else you guys can think of as far as players' advice? Well, and understand uh, understand what you're signing up for. This goes back to we talked about having a conversation with the players about what this is all about and what they're you know to help with backstory and all that sort of thing. But understand what you're getting into and you're signing up for. Um, if this has a certain tone or it has a certain you know expectations, you know you're you're buying into it. Um, don't get three adventures in and just try to go off the rails because you know what's trying to happen and you go, well, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to do that. My player character would not do that. Let's go do something uh, else. And then yeah. just, I mean, <laughs> you, you really are of all things, um, adventure pass, you are signing up for an experience. You're buying into an experience. And so embrace it, you know, the, you know, do some things that maybe you think you might not do, but you know, it's what moves the story forward. Um, embrace it, right? That's what you wanted to play. You wanted to play this book. Embrace it. Lean into it. Yep. 
Absolutely. And be gentle on your games master. Don't, you know, if something isn't working or, you, or you're like, this NPC or this chapter is absolute rubbish, just remember it's not the poor bugger that's running it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a written adventure. You know, it's like, it's, it's uh, you know, they, they, they haven't done it to you. It's, uh, it's, it's the author. And get on with the next chapter as quick as you can. Yeah. All right. Okay. I think, so I think we it sounds like yeah. we hit that one pretty good, eh, Eric? What do you think? You got anything <laughs> yeah, else there? Yeah. I've learned things, certainly. I, I still, you know, personally, the way my mind works, I don't like running uh, running the adventure path. But I feel more confident than ever that I could with after talking to you, blokes. So, yeah. all right, well, awesome. <laughs> try it. You should try it sometime. It's it's great for being lazy. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com to find out our other projects and contact and support us. Um, Again, you can email comments, questions, uh, asking Eric to adjudicate issues at (laughs) GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. That's GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. And uh, we would love positive reviews. We'd love you to tell your friends, all that good stuff. And uh, we enjoy doing this, so be sure to uh, support us the best you can in any way possible. Um, So once again, this is Carl with Eric and James saying, hey, say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Thought you were going to say happy game. And happy game. And happy game. <laughs> <laughs>